Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Paul Vallis ran for mayor of Chicago in 2018. Remember the broom he was going to use to clean up Chicago? Well, the incumbent at that time was Rahm Emanuel. Well, Vallis is back in a crowded field trying to unseat the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot. We'll talk. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Paul Vallis, one of nearly a dozen candidates running for Chicago mayor, including the incumbent. Vallis is perhaps best known in this city for being the former CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. But he's also since headed school districts in New Orleans after the floods of Bridgeport, Connecticut and Philadelphia. And don't forget, Vallis also was a Chicago budget director. Well, in his current campaign, Paul Vallis is focusing a lot of attention on violent crime and public safety in general, but then so is the general public. We'll talk about that and more in this half hour, and we are speaking via Zoom conferencing. And Paul Vallis, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me, and let me point out that I still have that broom. Well, good. And I'm sure we'll we'll be seeing it in this campaign. You will. <laughs> uh, you, and I still have the button with the broom on it. Uh, you, you've been active on social media for a long time, but lately the posts have uh, often been pointing to the uh, latest apparently gang-related murder or shooting in Chicago and asking where is Mayor Lightfoot. So where do you feel a mayor should be amid the violence in the streets, and what could he or she do to have an impact on these kinds of individual acts of violence? Well, let me point out that the principal function of government is to protect life, liberty, and property, and that's simply not happening. And let, let me give you some quick statistics. I'll, I'll try to minimize the, these statistics for a change. I can't help myself. Violent crime, even after the last two years that saw historic increases, is now up again by 41%. There have been 65 children under the age of 17 murdered. Uh, 46 mass shootings. We're leading the nation again in mass shootings. That's four or more people shot at one t- spot. And the and even some of the uh, 
crimes like carjacking still at uh, really historic highs. Uh, and the number of, of robberies and assaults and in particular, the number of uh, cars being stolen, those numbers have all skyrocketed. Let me point out that uh, there has been a tripling in the number of cars being stolen daily just in the last three to four months. They are now stealing 100 cars a day. So clearly, clearly things are out of control. And, and crime has spread everywhere. Uh, if you look at the 1st District and the 18th District, those are the downtown districts. The murders and shootings are dramatically up. So clearly, you know, the city is reeling and it's, and, and, you know, and it's making in many communities, it's making uh, families uh, prisoners in their own community. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think the mayor has failed us, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, taking the steps to make the city safe. I think it's reflected in her selection of a police superintendent who simply does not have the skills to run a major, uh, to, to, you know, to run the Chicago Police Department. He and his leadership team, I think, have been disastrous. I think it's reflected uh, in the abandonment of a community policing strategy that is designed to ensure that every single local police beat has a presence of police officers, has cars covering the beat. I think it's reflected uh, in the fact that they've allowed, once again, the historically understaffed detectives division to continue to lose detectives, the, the failure to fill vacancies. You know, they are only closing one in six murder cases with an arrest and, and, and the number of individuals, uh, uh, cases where an individual is shot but does not die. They're only closing 5% of those cases. And when you look at other crimes like carjackings, car thefts, assault and battery, the closure rates, the clearance rates, the uh, arrest rates are in the single digit. So clearly, by all indicators, uh, the, you know, the, you know, the city is becoming increasingly unsafe. And I think the mayor has failed to do what needs to be done to get public safety back on track. Well, let's talk about what you feel needs to be done and could be done to have an immediate impact. And and I want to move beyond saying let's fire uh, David Brown, because frankly, every candidate except the mayor is pretty much saying let's fire David Brown. What's the next step? Yeah. Well, let me point out that, uh, you know, and I, of course, did an op-ed piece on this two years ago. Uh, when it comes to leadership, it's just not David Brown. You've got to really change the whole culture uh, you know, the mayor promotion systems where people are being promoted into ex the exempt ranks and where individuals are being promoted into uh, senior positions, it, 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 it doesn't seem to be based on experience, on accomplishment, on skills. A lot of times they, they, it's affectionately referred to or uh, as the friends and family promotion policy. So it's just not about Brown, but it's about his leadership team and it's about uh, having police leadership where individuals move into these positions of responsibility that simply do not have the skills. And that is significantly demoralizing on the entire police department. But let me tell you what you have to do. And, and Craig, you're old enough to remember that I faced a similar crisis when I was recruited to come back to Chicago uh, early on in the in Daly's administration uh, when the uh, murder rate, what I I think 1992, 947. That's that's uh, you know that's significantly higher than the murder rate uh, in each of the past two years. And uh, you know, and what we did was we 
we sat down and we developed a strategy to to fill the police vacancies, which they historically had not filled, and to have enough police officers so that we could make sure that there was a community policing strategy in which there were beat cops. There were cops covering every single beat so that you didn't have to wait hours for a 911 call to be responded to. Water Points pointed out that last year there were 400,000 high priority 911 calls, including 32,000 assaults and batteries for which there was not a police car available at the time. So the idea, so my strategy would be to, to restore the level of police staffing that was enjoyed by the, uh, by the city uh, before Rahm Emanuel lost office. When he left office, 13,300 officers. That would require that they hire an additional 1,700 officers. And let me point out that uh, uh, they, uh, there are well over 1,000 vacancies that they haven't even filled, let alone the additional officers I would want them to hire. But if they do that, they're going to be able to make sure that every single uh, uh, po local police beat has officers covering that beat who are known to the community and who know the community so that they can have responses, they can have a police presence and responses in a timely manner. It would also enable the police department to hire more detectives. And with more detectives, you can clear more cases. I've also recommended that they do what other states have done, uh, and what other cities have done, is to invite retired police officers to return to work as analysts, as part-time analysts, so that we the detectives have enough support to clear cases and so that the police can protect their witnesses. Last, the reason, part of the reason that they're not clearing cases is they can't protect the witnesses and people are afraid to testify. Last year, when there were 58 mass shootings in Chicago, I think they only made one or two arrests. Imagine 58 mass shootings and only one or two arrests because they simply can't get cooperation from the community because they can't protect the witnesses. So if you restored police strength to the manual levels, you'd not only be able to ensure that there would be integrity uh, and that the districts had the police that they had lost restored, but in the downtown area, in the 1st and 18th district that covers downtown, you would be able to restore police strength there. And if the police uh, are, are encouraged to be proactive, where they're arresting people for assault, arresting people for stealing, arresting people for robbing cars, arresting people for violating the public way, uh, uh, you know, it, it, you know it, if those things are done in combination, I think you're going to quickly begin to restore order and you're going to be able to kind of reverse this this crime trend. Let me point out that that since 2019, despite the historic increase in crime across the board, there has been a 76 percent reduction in arrests. That is a prescription for disaster. So restoring the police. Uh, uh, hiring enough police so you can have beat integrity and enough detectives uh, so that you can respond to 911 calls in real time and allowing police to be proactive. I'm not talking about stop and frisk. The city has never done stop and frisk. Uh, this is a simple, basic strategy. I also think you need to do one more thing, too. Uh, you know, uh, the recent stories about the CTA, there are a half a million riders a day down from pre-COVID. Now they like to blame it on COVID, but it no longer, it has looked, you know, the overwhelming vast majority, uh, the only, the overwhelming reasons 
why crime has significant, I mean, why ridership has significantly plummeted is because of crime. The perception here is that the CTA, that, um, you know, uh, the platforms, the riding the trains, et cetera, even riding the buses are unsafe. And when you look at crime on the CTA from a per capita, on a per capita basis, it's probably uh, the, the most crime, the highest crime that the CTA has ever experienced. The CTA simply is not responding in a practical way. They are hiring hundreds of private security guards who are unarmed, untrained, paid minimum wage to provide security, and they're spending a small fortune uh, on those guards. If the city took the money that they are spending, uh, Chicago Transit Authority is spending on private security, $100 million, they could hire between 600 and 700 police officers. If they hired 600 to 700 police officers, in addition to the to the couple hundred officers they have now, they could put police officers on every platform. They could put police officers on every station. And like New York, they could have police officers both in uniform and undercover riding the, riding the trains. The CTA must become safe if its ridership is going to pick up. I mean, they can build the, the new red line. Uh, you know, they can do the improved red line. Uh, the investment in the red line, but if people are afraid to take the red line, uh, what are you going to accomplish? How's the economic development going to occur? So it's absolutely critical that they create a police unit, a, a, a police transit unit that has enough officers to make sure that there's an officer presence everywhere you travel uh, on the CTA. The CTA needs to be as safe as the airports. Well, let me hit on a couple of those points uh, one at a time. One, the city would tell you that they've been trying to hire more police, trying to bring on more officers. They certainly have the uh, the the slots for them. The uh, so mm -hmm. and not enough people are showing up for the tests. What would be different under Paul Vallis that isn't happening now when they are trying hard? to fill some of those slots and hire more detectives? Well, first of all, you have two problems. Uh, you have a problem with police leaving and you have a problem with not enough pol uh, potential officer candidates wanting to join. And let me point out that they dramatically lowered the standards for the recruitment of new officers. The officers that they're hiring today, most of them would have never passed muster just three, four, five years ago. So there, and, and that in itself will create long-term problems for the department. The way to tackle the way to fill the vacancies is to do the following. First of all, yes, you have to fire Brown and his leadership team, and you've got to bring leaders into the police department that are going to restore morale. When you have a thousand officers leaving for the second year in a row, it's because they don't have confidence in the present leadership. So you've got to make leadership changes. Secondly, if you return the police to a normal work schedule, and if you return to a strategy where the police know their assignments, beat integrity, uh, where they're not being moved all over the city, that in itself will improve morale. And finally, if you stop penalizing police and punishing police for being proactive, uh, you know, and that in itself will also improve morale. So I believe if you do those four things, that's going to significantly slow the exodus of officers. You know, I stepped in, as you well know, when there was an impasse between the city uh, and the Fraternal Order of Police on the police contract where the police had not gone four years without a contract. And I, for no charge, 
free. Uh, the, uh, the, they donated money to a charity uh, in, in, instead of, uh, you know, and because I did not want to be compensated. I helped negotiate an eight-year contract uh, with the city uh, to, in effect, give the police their retro pay and then obviously extend that contract four years into the future. And that it itself prevented probably close to 2,000 officers from leaving. So I know this department. I know that if you make the leadership changes, the change in strategy, the you stop punishing teacher, uh, uh, principal, uh, uh, police officers for being, being proactive, I'm absolutely convinced that you're going to slow the exodus. Now, if you do, on the flip side, there are a number of things that you can do to expand the pool of officers. For example, you can... Uh, invite officers who have returned and there are hundreds who would who would leave you can invite officers who left and transferred to other police departments if you invited them back with new leadership and a new strategy and kind of a new day if you invited them back and you did not uh, penalize them in other words you would bring them in at the same seniority level they were when they left if you remove the obstacles to recruiting police officers from other police departments, because there's all sorts of obstacles and delays in hiring officers who want to transfer from other. If you remove the obstacles, if you remove the obstacles for streamlining the recruitment of military veterans into the police department, and if you invite retired police officers to return in either a full-time capacity or a part-time capacity, that in itself would swell the pool of officers that would, in effect, be available. And and the combination of slowing the exodus and expanding the pool of highly qualified new officers or returning officers, that in itself would very quickly allow you to begin to approach the police strength levels that I've identified, 13,300 police officers, 1,700 more than they have today. And it would also allow you to begin to build this Chicago Transit Authority uh, police unit uh, that is so critical to ensuring that the CTA is safe enough to begin to uh, attract riders back to the CTA. I, so I think that strategy would be sound and that strategy would be effective. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is former public school CEO Paul Vallis, who was one of the candidates challenging Mayor Lori Lightfoot's re-election bid. Uh, one more thing I want to touch on on uh, on public safety uh, when you're saying proactive policing uh, and you know we we hear the refrain let the police be police I know you're saying this isn't stop and frisk but what is it because this is a police department under a consent decree and a police department with a history of sometimes over policing some neighborhoods the african-american and the uh, latino communities being among them and there is sometimes a perception of your candidacy as being uh, you know especially because you were a consultant to the uh, to the union uh somewhat to the right of uh of those communities uh yeah. so what what is what does it mean to be proactive police that is going to still be just, equally just? Well, first of all, let me just say that stepping in to help uh, negotiate a, a contract that was five years late in, in coming for free between the city and the police department. And let me point out that uh, I was welcomed by the city's negotiating team because the lead negotiator, Jim Francis, was my 
lead negotiator when I negotiated city contracts in the 90s, police, fire. So believe me, they were they were glad that I joined the fray, uh, you know, but there would be 2000 fewer cops on the force right now today because they were not going to wait another year to get their back pay and their retro checks. And they were totally frustrated and demoralized. So I make no apologies for basically stepping up to the plate and getting that done, something that neither this mayor nor Rahm Emanuel were able to get done. You know, in terms of, of proactive policing, proactive policing is not a violation of the consent decree. Proactive policing is about arresting somebody. It's about arresting somebody. It's about arresting people who are walking into stores and filling their bags with goods and walking out. Arresting people who are carjacking. Arresting people who are assaulting people on the public way. Arresting people who are coming in and violating and destroying public and private property. It's as simple as that. That's what we are talking about. You, I invite you to go out and talk to any police officer on the street and ask them how they feel that they have been restrained. They're even afraid to chase people because the rules and regulations are so convoluted and so complicated. So, so this is not a violation of the consent decree. Public safety is not, uh, you know, you know, you know, is not a one-party issue. It's everybody's issue. You know, public safety is government's primary responsibility. And everything that I've articulated, every, and I've been articulating this for the better part of three to four years, I mean, these are the type of things that will help restore sanity to the way we address public safety issues in our communities. I mean, there is a need, for example, if you had enough police resources, you could begin open, opening the cop houses that, uh, that uh, Alderman Beal and others have been wanting in some of the poor communities, like on the west side and in Rosen. You could reopen the 13th district. That was shut down. You could restore. You could restore the levels of police that you had in some of the poorest areas of the city. The 11th district, which is the most violent district in the city, which probably makes it the most violent district in the nation. Where last year there were 108 murders. There are nights when half the beats, the po local police beats, are covered are covered by a police car. There, there were some nights when you didn't have a sergeant on duty. Public safety is a human right, and and no one has a you know no one has a monopoly on that issue. I think it's something that affects all of us. And and I'm just not talking about public safety. About I've I've not only spoken to the issue of uh, of, uh, of giving the police the resources and the support that they need to protect every community. I've also talked about the importance of the schools getting into the game. Why aren't the schools open through the dinner hour? Why aren't their campuses open over the, over the weekends and on summer and on holidays? Why aren't community-based organizations invited to bring their programs to the local schools so we can keep the hundreds of thousands of kids fully engaged? When we restored community policing uh, during my tenure as city budget director, I later as school chief literally kept the campuses open until it was time for the kids to go to bed. Why can't we do that? There have been 200 uh, children in this city murdered since COVID, since COVID. And 8% of the arrests for murder and 9% of the arrests for shootings and over 50% of the arrests for carjackings and over 30% of the arrests for assaults last year were school age children 17 years and younger. So it's just not about uh, giving the police the resources and support they need to be effective, but it's also about getting these other institutions and organizations into the game 
Because if you open the school campuses, you extend the school day, school year, you can keep kids in a safe, secure place. And you can certainly, that will certainly go a long way towards improving the public safety climate. Let me ask you about a couple of other things. Okay. Uh, well, one is economic. And I think some people would say what you can keep open and for how long has to do with how much money the city has. But Mayor Lightfoot points to the number of companies that have expanded or relocated to Chicago. And she says the city is thriving. In fact, uh, at least one of the uh, uh, Samir Mayakar today uh, was uh, as, as before we were recording this was talking about how the city is thriving and growing. What do you say about what's happening in the city? Well, you know, I think the articles speak for themselves. You look at the occupancy rates downtown at historic lows. You look at the the iconic businesses that have left. Look, in a city of 2.7 million, you're always going to have businesses locating or businesses expanding. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's that's always going to happen, but clearly, clearly if you look at the exodus of businesses, if you look at the vacancy rates, uh, you know, if you look at the depressed revenue collections, you know, they're up obviously post-COVID. They were eventually going to go up once you began reopening the economy, but they're still generating, they're still not generating what they should be generating. The economy is not producing the tax and fee revenue uh, that it would normally take if the city was growing. And again, I point to the fact that the city continues to lose population. I mean, look, I mean, the middle class has all but vanished from the city. So, Yes. I mean, there are going to be new companies that come in. The mayor is always going to point out to these new companies and put those numbers out there. But clearly businesses are leaving. Many businesses that closed during COVID are not reopening. Uh, the middle class continues to exit the city because of high crime and because of high taxes and inadequate schools. So I think the city is economically reeling despite the mayor's uh, attempts to basically, you know, try to put a, a good face on a, uh, on a crisis situation. Beyond making the city safer, what else would you do differently to attract more businesses, attract more people? Well, I think you have to do three things. First of all, uh, the first thing you have to do is obviously make communities safe because you're not going to have economic investment on the south and west side if those communities are unsafe. The second thing you have to do is, is you've got to bring some sort of financial stability uh, to, uh, and when it comes to taxes and fees and fines to businesses. I mean, look, uh, you know, property taxes have gone up $900 million in the last four years, so much for the city's property tax cap. Not to, we are now the highest property tax uh, city in the, in the country among major cities. We certainly pay the highest fees, the highest sales taxes. I mean, this, the second installment, ask people if their property taxes uh, held the line on the second installment. Businesses were, were punished. They are reeling under the the, the change in assessment practices. So you've got to be able to, you've got to bring some predictability. So what I would do is I would cap individual property taxes and I would really bring the $28 billion that the mayor controls in terms of spending for all governmental agencies and departments. If, if that's not enough to invest in public safety, if that's not en enough to ensure quality schools, if that's not enough to ensure quality city services while holding a line on taxes, then my God, we're in need of new leadership. So clearly bringing some sort of financial stability when it comes to taxes, fees and fines is critical. And then the third thing is we've got to recognize that about 70, 80 percent of the city uh, has has been shortchanged when it comes to investment. And yes, the mayor has their south and west side initiative. But would you would you keep that going? Would you keep Invest Southwest going? 
Well, you know, you know, first of all, most of, of South and West the, the South and the South and West initiative is warmed over Rahm Emanuel. Two thirds of those projects were his. So the answer is those projects. Yes, absolutely. But it's it's a far cry of what's needed. I would do much more massive investment because right now, even Cranes reported in uh, in, in a story a couple months ago, uh, you know, that as of a couple months ago, there had literally been no no projects, no new projects, no projects that were not started or planned under the Rahm Emanuel uh, uh, administration that had been out the door and the South and West initiative, uh, you know, ended up being fool's gold. So, yes, do we need to invest on the South and West sides? Absolutely. But I think we need a much more ambitious plan. Look, they're doing uh, the plan is to move forward on on making the investment in the red line, which is which is long overdue. But what are the plans to invest in the corridors that border the red line? What's the plan to secure property, remediate the property, provide property tax incentives for businesses to invest along the corridor? You know, it's great to basically, uh, you know, improve access to public transportation, but you need to do more than that. You need to make sure that that public transportation is safe. You need to make sure that you're incentivizing people along that those that line, along the the transit line, that you've got the investment along that corridor, that you're incentivizing people, you're providing the capital, you're providing the property tax uh, breaks so that you're taking full advantage of the fact that you're now going to have more accessible transportation. You're taking advantage of that to stimulate economic activity. That is Paul Vallis, candidate for mayor of Chicago, Chicago, and thank you for spending this half hour with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.